What is up, everybody? My name is James D. Fiore, and this is Blackballed. My guest today um, has one of the most interesting stories that I've heard in a long time <clears throat> and in a tragic kind of way. Uh, not, not in a tragic kind of way, in a very tragic way. When I first heard about this church, the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church, the very first thing that came to mind was Scientology especially in the way that the church treats the people who have either been excommunicated or, or choose to leave. In this person's case, he became a whistleblower, and he'll be able to talk in detail about that. And ever since, uh, his life has been just completely turned upside down. His name is Richard Marsh. And Richard, welcome to the show. How are you, buddy? Yes, I'm good, James. Thank you. Good. So, Mostly what I want to do with this interview is, is really just let you tell your story. Because when you told me, I was, I was, first of all, I was kind of floored. I'm a non-believer. So when I think of religion, I'm always coming at it from a place that's probably negative. It's, it's probably not a good thing that I'm, I'm so negative towards religion. But <clears throat> your partic the, the particular church that you belong to, the Plymouth Brethren Church, seems particularly heinous to people that want to leave or in your case people that blow the whistle can you tell me first like from the beginning how you got involved with this church and how old you were and uh and we'll take it from there uh technically i believe i was six days old when i i first joined the church um the uh, according to their strange doctrines, you're not actually a member of the church until you've been baptized, uh, and they believe in infant baptism. So um, I was submerged in my parents' uh, enamel cast iron bathtub at approximately uh, six days old by uh, an elderly brother in the locality. Well, I suppose he wasn't that elderly at the time. Um, sometime approximately the last day of October, uh, quite possibly even Halloween, um, October of 1971. Um, my recollection of the event is a little hazy, uh, but the point is that 99% of church members are born into the church and many of them are third, fourth, fifth, sixth generation. Um, the commentators often loosely describe the 
Plymouth Brethren Christian Church or exclusive brethren as evangelicals, they're not evangelical in, in any sense of the word. Um, evangelical means a church or system that goes out and preaches and tries to draw converts into the church. The PBCC does not want people to join. They have plenty of victims produced by biological means without the hassle of trying to brainwash and convert people who might have already got a glimpse of reality. Um, Does that yeah. answer your question? Yeah, no, I think it does. Um, so let's let's actually fast forward a bit. Um, so you you were in the church basically your whole life, absolutely. And and then something happened, and um, in the UK that made you take a stand. D let's fast forward to that and tell us what that was. Oh sure, yeah. So. Um... I have to be, I'm very limited what I can actually say about the specific events uh, because of legal restrictions and court orders in members of the church, but say that at some point uh, about um, in 2015, I became aware of a number of instances of fraud and dishonesty in businesses owned by church members. Um, some Am of which, I allowed to? Yeah. Oh, you can say what the hell you like. Okay. Um, yeah. <clears throat> from what I understand, and I don't think I have the details on like what kind of equipment and all that kind of stuff, <clears throat> but basically the church was taking it. Um, actually, wait a second. It, 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 I might be getting confused of two different things. What was the PPE situation? Is that what we're talking about? Um, the uh, no, no, the PPE is, is a further chapter. This is a, a long and complex story. But the, the okay. incident that led to my um, departure, uh, well, the, the point at which I realized the church wasn't what it said it was related to observing and being informed by outsiders of fraudulent very very serious uh, multi-million pound uh and they were siphoning money fraud. from the yeah. uk's health system is that right um, um wait you don't have to uh, you can no touch comment. your nose i don't know are you allowed to touch your nose <laughs> uh, sure. probably get away with it yeah um Guys, just, just to let the audience know, it, it is very difficult uh, for Richard to be able to speak into detail because there are, as he said, um, court proceedings that are taking place right now. But he blew the whistle on some wrongdoing that had to do with the church basically getting paid lots of money from the uh, UK health system. And I think that they were obligated to improve the health situation on some equipment and they just basically pocketed the money I, i'm probably getting that a bit wrong but since i don't want to dance around it too much because i know that you can't really speak about it and i don't want to put you on the spot um however let, let's 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 just say wrongdoing was was happening you blew the whistle then what happened yeah well i mean we could we could give a hypothetical situation that a, a church member um who was working in a in a brethren-owned business as, as they are obliged to do. You, you have to work for brethren business. Um, if a church member who worked for a brethren business 
was to become aware of dishonesty or fraud occurring in that business, the church would expect that he would report that firstly to the business owner uh, and secondly to his local um, his local congregation's leading brother or priest as they get called and then the brethren administration would look after that situation and the person who had made the report would be uh, bound to silence and to um, not mention the situation again hmm. if if however the the brother who observed the wrongdoing uh, was to report that wrongdoing to the authorities um, such as for example the police the government departments health and safety executive um, then that would be constituted an act of treachery and unbrotherliness um, and uh, it would result in penalties and consequences for the for the whistleblower um, I'm not saying that's what happened to me um, but that is typically what happens within the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church they regard themselves and in their own words in the words of their leaders the assembly which is what they call themselves when they're convened is the highest court in the land they regard it as a higher court than any of the civil or government courts of the world and um, they do their own administration in matters of uh, misconduct even if it's criminal and dangerous and even if they're supremely unqualified to um, perform that administrative yeah. act. Yeah, some of the stories that I've heard, <clears throat> there are, we, we, and we're, we're not going to talk about this tonight, but there, um, you know, I've been uh, told and read about accusations of, um, you know, abuse. Um, th the way the church operates, it kind of reminds me of like an amalgamated entity that takes parts of Scientology and parts of Catholicism. The Catholicism part is that whole self-governance thing. When when the Catholic um, priest scandals were happening all over the world and in North America, Ireland, UK, all that, it was um, the reason why it was so systemic is because often the authorities would punt the responsibility for punishment or for dealing with the situation back to the church. Um, this sounds like that. Like this church sounds like they want everything to be internalized, um, everything uh, handled within. And, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And to top it all off, they're basically an international conglomerate as well, right? They, they, what is the UBT? Yeah, the UBT is uh, technically, uh, officially, it's a business consultancy organization. Um, it, it runs extensive business consultancy in the sense of they provide training and courses and training manuals and and um, conferences, online conferences, in-person conferences. They supply advisors. They supply accountancy services. Um, in reality, it is the collection mechanism whereby the, the church garners money from its members. The members are all encouraged 
encouraged as an understatement. Um, to get anywhere at all inside the church, you have to run a very, very successful and profitable business. The UBT assists the members in doing that. And then they charge extremely fat consultancy fees, uh, which are funneled back into church coffers. So it's the, it's the collection mechanism that takes the money from all the, all the very successful brethren businesses and puts it back into the church. Yeah, um... under the guise, under the guise of gold, silver, and platinum subscriptions to the UBT's consultancy services. Oh, how convenient! Mm. Mm. <laughs> right. Is that the tithing? Is that their version of a tithing? It, it performs the same function, but of course, they don't admit that this is. That, I mean, the members are told that the whole massive commercial build-up, UBT, everything else in the church is purely to fund the brethren school system um, in reality it garners multiple times the amount of money needed to run the brethren school system and it raises the question as to where the rest of the money goes now the leader of the Plymouth brethren christian church mr bruce hales has a huge and ornate custom-built home in an exclusive part of Sydney. His oldest son has an even larger mansion next door, and they're currently demolishing a couple of uh, older houses over the back to make a large enough plot for a further mansion in the family compound. He has an impersonal jet, and he is immensely wealthy, and none of this has any connection at all to the missing billions from the UBT's fundraising. Yeah, um, I've heard. I've heard, so they have. Um, they've also been accused of political interference in Australia. Mm. I th I'm pretty sure that it was the political connections that they had with that other situation with the NHS in Britain. Um, it, you know, there's corruption obviously involved th with that. Again, oh, with the PPE, with, with the PPE, yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's another thing. So for my audience, because um, just to bring it back to Canada for a second. <clears throat> Um, the lawyer there, Jerry Shapur, mm. I think he's pronounced it Shapier or something. I, I called him today um, to talk yeah. to him and I uh, got his voicemail and, and he's like, yeah. Jerry Chipper or something. <laughs> I was well, like, I can think of less polite ways to pronounce it. Yeah. Yeah. So just to give some background, I wrote an article about this today, actually. But um, mm. the, the I had yesterday Nathan Jacobson and David Wallace, which, by the way, um, if you could ever ask me to name two just fucking completely off the wall characters that you could find in Canada, you found the top two that I could think of. Yeah, 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 <laughs> With, definitely. Yeah, know. it's a really hard act to follow. I'm sorry, your audience is probably asleep by now. Yeah. Hey, listen, we're Canadian. You have a British accent. <laughs> we're like hanging on every word, yeah, yeah. brother. Like, yeah, you're, you're just making me talk so you can listen to the voice. I know. That's right. That's right. Um, but the thing is, is that uh, so Nathan was talking about how um, and so Jerry Shapur, which is a, just the accepted pronunciation that I'll use, yeah. was a uh, was the conservative party party's general counsel for yeah. uh, a long time when Stephen Harper was prime minister. Yeah, he is now the general counsel, from what I understand, of the Plymouth Brethren Church. Yeah, well, in and, Canada, at least or in North America, in, in possibly. Canada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so um, Nathan Jacobson told us last night, and I couldn't believe I, I was hearing this, 
that they basically found a way to, I think he said it was like $200 million profiting from the PPE situation during COVID by, I guess, finding um, the inside information that this contract was going to be sought a couple of months before it was actually um, announced and was able to put his company in line first uh, in order to receive the, the, the lucrative deal from Jason Kenney's government. Mm-hmm. Is that how you understand it? Uh, I don't know anything about that. I mean, that would be okay. information that Nathan has, which I have right. no reason to doubt it. I mean, obviously something similar happened in the UK. Oh, you're talking about Chipper rather than the Brethren. Well, it, what he said is that um, the Brethren were, were were profiting from it with him as partners. I, well, I'm, that, doesn't, trying... that, doesn't, that doesn't surprise me at all because the Brethren Association with Chipper goes back to at least... I think 2006. So is yeah, the UB? He, I'm just trying to wrap my head around this. Is the UBT also tax exempt, or is that separate from the church itself? Uh, I don't really understand. Like, I mean, it's a global organization, and no doubt there are different tax rules in different countries. But it's a it's a non-profit, so presumably, right. if you're only taxed on your profits, presumably they don't pay any tax. But exactly right. okay. how that works, I don't know. Okay, so let's let's then go to the part where that caught my basically the main reason why <clears throat> excuse me I wanted to talk to you on the show. You uh, after after the situation happened where um, you you kind of blew the whistle on that thing in the UK, they uh, hired David Wallace to find you, um, and lied. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I'm I'm missing a couple steps probably, but but yeah, but let me just. A- fit- couple of staircases gone yeah yeah <laughs> i don't know what you're allowed to talk about so i'm trying to like find a way to finagle it so that you can you can speak are you allowed to yeah, speak yeah, about no, anything no. that happens after the whistleblowing stuff like how they treated you are you yeah, yeah, yeah. Able to... I, I, absolutely i mean the only the only restriction on what i can talk about relates to uh, one specific um organization commercial okay okay so let's let let's go the day after the thing that we're not allowed to talk about happens and then tell me what happened and then tell me what happened to your life and take as much time as you want because i i want people to understand exactly what you've gone through so we can um tie that together with david wallace and nathan yeah 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 so so what happened what happened um after the incident that i'm not allowed to speak about um is that two brethren priests turned up on my doorstep in fact, not even the day after the same day. Um, by the brethren, I should explain, doesn't officially have any hierarchy at all. The only person with an official position in the church is Bruce Bruce D. Hales himself, who's the uh, the so-called man of God, which the irreverent like myself abbreviate to Mog. Um, so the Mog is official. Everyone else is, uh, in theory, all on the same level, but in practice, um, less, uh, more unscrupulous and wealthier businessmen within any one congregation will float to the top of the cesspit. And basically, by their contacts and connections with the um, Australian head office, govern the place. And they are known as priests. The brethren are not exactly humble about their titles. Um, so these priests turn up on the, the doorstep of my house. They were 
one of them looked scared the other was so angry he was lit literally frothing at the mouth i've never seen anyone i thought that just happened in comics but no he, he really did have bubbles of foam coming out the corner of his mouth he was he was so wild um that that just means he's a man of god that's what happens to men of god when they yell uh, oh, no, no 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 he wasn't a man of god there's only one man of god there's only one mog mog yeah oh, um right. he was okay. just one of the mog's kittens um so i um i wasn't you know, I was extremely stressed and upset. I mean, I knew what was going to happen. I knew what the consequences of my actions were. And I just left. I didn't argue with him. I got in my car and drove off. Um, and in fact, I, I disappeared for two weeks. Um, it, I rented, a, I rented a, a room in a crummy house in the backside of Norfolk, middle of nowhere and tried to sit down and spend some quiet time and rebuild my life. Um, my, my wife became very concerned about me. She didn't hear anything from me. Um, they, in fact, called the police and put me on the missing persons list. Um, the police eventually reconnected with me um, when they found me uh, sitting in my car with a bottle of beer outside of... Uh, a William and Kate's mansion near Sandringham. I think they have high security around there. I didn't realize it was William and Kate's place. It was just a nice country lane and I was chilling out. Uh, so the police, yeah, then said, look, this guy's missing. And eventually I, I went home again, hoping that people had calmed down a bit. But from that point, I knew that it was only a question of time before I had to leave. And so I made plans to made plans to go. Uh, meanwhile, the, the brethren, of course, communicated with the Mog. Um, the Mog came back and said that Richard has um, been treacherous and unbrotherly, and he needs to make public confession of this for the matter to be cleared. Um, I said, you know, I haven't been treacherous and unbrotherly. I just did what any good citizen would do in the situation. Um, refused to attend a meeting that they were setting up. Uh, and by a meeting, uh, this is what the, in the Brethren, this is Brethren terminology, this is what they call going to church. It's called a meeting. Um, so there were like 200 in the congregation in Cambridge, UK, where I was. They'd set up this meeting. I was supposed to go in. They would have a hymn. They would have a prayer. They would read out a long confession statement which i was supposed to assent and um, make humble remarks and then they would admonish me and forgive me i said i wasn't going to attend i didn't think it was honest for me to say i was sorry about it because i would do the same thing again in the same circumstances and within a week i packed my bags and left permanently and that was the last time I saw my children or my ex-wife. Yeah. Um, hear me, by the way? Yeah, yeah, I hear you loud and clear. I, my internet is going, going in and out right now, so uh, hopefully I don't lose you. I can't even change the screen. Um, we, I can see in the comments that people are not sure what to think. I, I, I see people wondering if we're going down conspiracy theory holes. Everything that you've been talking about right now is searchable online, is it not? Oh, 100%, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, multiple, multiple instances of the same thing happening to other former members. And yeah, the whole, the whole, the whole thing that blew up in the UK is is extremely findable on Google and um, particularly on Wayback Machine because I always made sure to back up everything on Wayback Machine. Yeah. So I just just want to let the audience know because I know that are chatting and and <clears throat> the the doubt that you're expressing is probably just a disbelief that you know anytime you talk about cults because that's really what this is right it would be described as cult don't you think oh 100 yeah 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 it is difficult for a lot of people to wrap their head around the idea that people behave like this and mm. I, I i want people in the chat if they can to to google richard's name uh with uh i don't know nhs and and plymouth brethren and and just you know do your due diligence a little bit um, before you start knocking it as a conspiracy theory. I get it because it's a ridiculously hard to believe story on the face of it, but there's receipts online where people can 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 read about and 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 learn about your story. Um, in fact, I saw something <clears throat> the other day where a couple of ex members of the church were actually um, commenting about how the truth of your situation that you can't really talk about had come out and completely basically exonerated you because it was basically everything that you said from the beginning. Um, and, and so the, the losing your family part really got to me. Um, because you know, if it, the, the idea that family, and then this is another Scientology kind of aspect of it, that the idea that a family member like a wife and and then children or whatever can turn your turn their back on on somebody uh, on 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 you on a husband and side with a church or a cult is the most heartbreaking aspect of this story as far as far as i'm concerned um it, it, you know and and i'm wondering if you've i guess i'm wondering if you feel like there's ever going to be a chance of reconciliation and a, and and reuniting with them Yes, it is, it is very hard to understand, but it is it is beaten and drummed into you from your earliest memories that loyalty to the church is ahead of loyalty to natural family. In fact, they they use a terminology in the church. They talk about the first family and the second family. And what, what that means is the first family is your natural family, your relatives, your mum and dad and your kids and your wife. And it, they use the term first in the sense of being that's what you start out with and then it's superseded by the second family which is the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church and so it's always drummed into your loyalty to the church and which is of course the same thing as your loyalty to, to Bruce D. Hales the Mog um, So you keep on saying the word Mog what does Mog the mean? The man mog. of God? The mog, mog, is, mog is just an abbreviation for the man of God Okay. I mean, it's, 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 a it's, it's a blasphemous title, so we call him the Mog. Yeah. Oh, or the okay. Mog. Or the does, mog. Yeah. It does sound like a dark novel villain or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like yeah. the Mog Father. You watch the Mog Father. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, I don't mean to laugh, but you know, uh, uh, do you do you ever find levity in any of this? I know it's like your life has been completely turned upside down and ruined and everything. I'm not trying to like lessen the impact that it's had on you, but is the, do you ever use levity like that in order to like help you cope? Oh, 100%. Yes, I use a lot of levity. I mean, it, it, they're, it's, when you see the brethren from the outside, it, it's ludicrous and it, it's funny and it's 
it's hilarious and and i get a big kick and uh, the whole ex-brethren community gets a big kick out of poking yeah. fun at the mog and his loopy antics yeah so are we at the are, did we did we take the staircases up to the point where you're almost within uh contact with david wallace yet my audience knows who david is because we've interviewed him yeah, twice yeah, yeah. in the last couple of days um well the brethren the brethren started hunting me down um because i published uh a number of websites and social media pointing out um fraud and um, corruption in a number of different Plymouth Brethren-owned businesses, not one, but several. Um, and then moving on from that, I started pointing out the sort of inconsistencies in the church itself and, you know, how they claimed to be compassionate and caring and how they were cruel and um, unpleasant and nasty and, and selfish and unchristian. Um, so I, I, I mean, I was in a situation that um, my wife, of course, divorced me. Um, I took nothing from the divorce. So I was, you know, literally penniless. I didn't have any money. I, I got myself a job washing up in a pub, which was fun and paid the rent on a very, very small cottage in the country. And I realized that the brethren had made a tactical error because in having left me with absolutely nothing they had no hold on me anymore um because you know they they're, they're very good at concocting um ways of prosecuting people claiming libel claiming slander and so on and so forth but but the only penalty the law will exact is to slap fine or damages on the supposed offender and of course, if you have no money and no property, um, the only effect of that is to render you technically bankrupt. It has no practical effect at all. So, you know, many, many people who've left the brethren, they have, you know, they have property, they have a car, they have some money in the bank, and they're, they're vulnerable to these kind of legal attacks. And, and I realized I wasn't. So I was, I felt quite liberated in expressing um, what I thought about the brethren, and it, and of course it infuriated them. They they tried to prosecute me for, for libel. Well, they successfully prosecuted me for libel um, a, about a statement that I had made that one of their members had hacked my website and social media, um, which was um, I could prove that a member of the brethren had hacked my social my website and social media but i couldn't prove specifically which member it was so i mean you'll find on my youtube channel the you know the the evidence there the receipt if you call it <clears throat> i made a technical error in naming a name which i couldn't actually conclusively prove that this was the guy behind it um and, and so yes they secured a, a libel case against me, um, which resulted in them being awarded damages of 50,000 £50, pounds, uh, which of course I couldn't possibly pay. Um, but it was it was it, it had no consequence. I mean, they wasted probably a million dollars and huge legal cases and top lawyers and everything, and 
you know, I went to the courtroom. I didn't go to the courtroom for that one. You know, it was just water off a duck's back. Um, and of course, I, I, I continued to publish, and I do continue to publish um, information about the brethren that they don't want made public. And I make fun of the mog and publish memes and cartoons. Um, not, I mean, it is funny, but it's with a serious purpose. And that is that the whole mog situation with Bruce Hales is, is a classic example of the Emperor's New Clothes. The, the guy is obviously not spiritual. He's obviously not religiously competent. He's obviously just a fat, greedy bastard who scams everyone and everything he can lay his greedy hands on. He's ugly. He's overweight. He's got a huge double chin. He um, is an alcoholic. Um, he's foul-mouthed and stupid. Um, and yet, Tell us what the brethren. What you really think? Uh, yeah, no, I was, I was holding back. Um, the brethren worship this guy. Yeah. He's much more important to them than God. And it's just like the Emperor's New Clothes. They all know deep down, somewhere deep down, they know something's wrong. But it's just waiting for the little boy to burst out laughing and say, "The Emperor has no clothes." Um, so I'm the little boy, you know, I'm not intimidated by him and his court cases and his fat cat lawyers. Uh, you know, I just sit in my seclusion and quietness and my very limited means and poke fun at the guy. And it infuriates him. Uh, and the reason is, you know, like a, a classic dictator, he doesn't mind people getting angry and swearing at him because that shows that they're you know, he's succeeded in provoking them. He doesn't mind, of course, that people love and adore him, and that's what he lives for, but he hates to be laughed at. Nothing nothing makes him wilder than someone just um, poking fun at the guy. Um, Is that him? And, and I think that, yeah, that's the guy. Yeah, no, he looks worse than that. He's, he's drunk a lot more since then. Um, he looks like he has, <clears throat> he has sausage yeah. fingers, doesn't he? He's one of those guys, right? Oh. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, like the big German ones, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Bratwurst. So yeah, I mean that's that, that's really that's really why he came after me so viciously. It, it, it's because I'm just laughing at him, and and he knows he, he he knows there's nothing he can do about it. He knows his lawyers can't exact any penalty on a man who has no possessions. So yeah, it yeah. wasn't a big you, surprise. Just... Yeah, right. Um, I was just going to say, kudos to you for using um, kind of like humor to, to sort of communicate that. Um, because I like to pride myself as being completely transparent, um, <laughs> before the I show, be, you, but yeah. no, but, but before, yeah, before the show, um, <laughs> I was downstairs fighting with my wife and, and uh, I had sent Richard the link and he clicked the link. And I came back and I was all flustered and I was like, did you hear any of that? And he, and, and you're such a gentleman. You're like, I, I heard someone say the word James a couple of times, <laughs> but, <laughs> but to your point, um, when you let someone provoke you into anger, you let them win. Right. Like that's, that, that's really the, the oh, oh, exactly. It, it, yes. Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, I've got a huge advantage. I'm, I'm, a, I'm on the autism spectrum and uh, for some reason, it has the effect on me. It's impossible for me to lose my temper. You know, I get situations where 
most people would fly off the handle and I start laughing, which actually infuriates the other party a lot more. Can and, you send um, me a pint of your blood? <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, um, yeah it might, might, might be better freeze it or it'll ferment. Whatever, um, yeah. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a useful little soup. Um, yeah. But um, so, so, yeah, he, I, I drove the guy to, I drove the guy to, um, to madness to, to overreact deliberately. I mean, right. I expected this to happen. I thought, well, I'm in a safe position. At least I thought I was in a safe position. His lawyers can't get me anymore. Um, although they came damn close to it. Um, let's just keep poking and poking and poking and just see what happens, you know, like the little kid with a stick and the hippopotamus at the zoo. You just poke it through the bars and you know that at some point it's going to come up and open its big mouth and do something stupid. Um, like, uh, and, it, like... and it did. It did. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Um, sorry, you just reminded me of Mike Tyson's punch out, the video game. <laughs> Because every time that one guy opened his mouth, that's when you're supposed to punch him in the mouth. I don't know. Um, <laughs> however, now, so how did David Wall? Who hired David Wallace? Like, like the the interesting thing is, is that all this stuff happened in the UK, and then you come to Canada, and I guess they found out that you're in Canada, and then hired David Wallace as a private investigator to find you. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd been backwards and forwards, UK, Canada, Jamaica. Um, and yeah, they've hired private investigators against me in, when I was living in Regina, um, well, at least a process server. Um, well, when I was living in Regina, I joined a Facebook group and um, was doing leading walks in the park for a kind of a social group, you know, single social group, uh, just to, you know, learn how to socialize and come out of the, out of the brethren. And, and, you know, it was a collection of 50, 60 year old odds and ends of society. Uh, and we were just about to start our walk around the lake. And a, this guy comes up to me and says, are you Richard Marsh? So I said, yes. And he sort of hands over a great bundle of papers. And it was a, a process server serving legal papers on me. And yeah, he had tracked me down through social media and so on and so forth. So that was the one of the first private investigators hired against me. Um, uh, but then the next type private investigator they hired against me was um, you know, the, the events that were described in Breaking Bread, where my wife was followed on a bus and followed home from work. Um, that was a guy called Stuart, Stuart Morse, Stu Morse, out of Calgary. Pro-West Investigations, you can, you can look him up online. Um, seems to be a, was a very competent Calgary detective. He actually got into the Calgary paper a couple of times for, um, successfully arresting, I believe, a gentleman who was collecting ladies underwear off washing lines, um, which obviously, which obviously qualified him supremely to set up an extremely expensive private detective agency. Um, yeah, I think he wishes now he'd stuck with the laundry department. Um, he was hired by Brad Mitchell, who is probably the leading member of the Plymouth Brethren in Canada and is the owner of Klondike Lubricants. Um, he started stalking my wife initially 
Uh, the way that came about was my wife was at Centennial College in Toronto um, studying culinary arts. As part of her course, she was required to put up a, a LinkedIn account. It was part of the course was how to present itself on social media. So she puts up this LinkedIn account and mentions on the LinkedIn account that she's working at Nicey's Eatery, which is a little, very nice Jamaican restaurant. I'll put in a, a little puff for them here. It's a very, very good Jamaican restaurant in, in Scarborough, Nicey's Eatery. She was working there part-time as a, as a chef. Um, Can I just interject for a second? Yeah. I love, I love Scarborough because they always have these plazas and it's like yeah. a nail place, a Jamaican restaurant, a massage place and a hairdresser and they're always yeah. all side by side like all of so, them so, so. so which order do you do those in um um i i usually uh do the massage and then the jerk chicken but that's just <laughs> you know they're one in the same sometimes anyways yeah sorry go ahead um so anyway she she put this up and you know i i didn't really notice what she was doing i i was not on top alert at that point um i was keeping low profile um Anyway, within days of her putting up that profile, some weird bloke appears in Nicey's eatery, buys himself a cheap hot drink and sits there staring at the staff. Um, and then eventually follows home one member of the staff. who wasn't actually my wife, but somewhat resembled her. I mean, you know, they're all Jamaicans. Yeah. Uh, and this girl was quite alarmed. I, I think she called the police. Anyway, next day, the, the guy had obviously realized he'd, he'd followed the wrong person home and he was following my wife home on the bus. I mean, we didn't have a car, it was all public transport. She is very sharp. Um, she grew up in a very dangerous country, in a very rough corner, a very dangerous country, and she's completely aware of what's going on around her. So she came in the door and she said, I'm being followed. Um, I knew immediately this was the the Plymouth Brethren. Um, so uh, from that point, I never left the house we were in by daylight. It was winter. Um, there was long hours of darkness. I was working night shift. So I would I would leave the house under cover of darkness, uh, walk down the yard, climb over the back fence, climb through two neighbors' yards Jesus and out onto yeah. the street and walk along and catch the bus and go to work. Um, she would go out the front door every day and be followed. There was one or two vehicles parked on the road outside at all times. This is a very quiet cul-de-sac, Oster, Osterhout Place in Scarborough, if you want to look it up. Um, we just rented a room in the basement. And this went on for three weeks and I kind of realized this was unsustainable. Sooner or later, they were going to catch me. Uh, my wife actually gave up her job because it was just hated being followed to and from work. Um, and so I, I moved out. I, I moved into an Airbnb elsewhere in, in the Toronto area. And she bravely just tried to get on with life as if nothing was happening. Um, Stuart Morse, the investigator, contacted her pretending to be a journalist, writing a magazine article about the experiences of uh, foreign students working in Canada. And she, and she knew perfectly well who he was, but she took the interview, met up with him in the cafe at, at um, Centennial College, 
And of course, he starts off all the questions about her career. And then he moves on to her love life by some kind of segue and wants to know if she's, you know, living with anyone in Canada and so on. So she assures him that no, she, she, she is not interested in men at all. And as soon as she's finished her studies, she's going back to Jamaica and she doesn't have any relationships. You know, she, she was just trying to throw him off the, off the yeah, track. Yeah. Um, and, but then things came to a bit of a head. I mean, I, as I said, I don't have a temper, but my wife, my wife has quite healthy, normal facilities in that department. If sufficiently provoked. <laughs> I just um, want to let everyone know that I've dated girls from Jamaica and Peru and Trinidad and and what what Richard's saying is is true. <laughs> yes. And um what's Fire more they have the, they have the facilities to follow up on it. Um uh, uh so she was going to she was going to school one day and these cars were parked on the road and a guy hops out of a guy that she's seen many times before hops out of one of the cars and follows her up the road. Um, fairly close behind her, so she walks. She walks across the park, across the recreation ground, goes to the bus stop, and it's apparently I never saw the guy, but he's a a youngish twenty-something sort of lank, greasy, black hair, goth look. Um, I'm not sure if he's wearing the black eyeshadow or not, but he, he definitely had black nail varnish. You know, not you know, he could have really... just been a Depeche. He could have just been a Depeche Mode fan, Richard. You know, he could have. Yeah, yeah, he could have been. Um, anyway, she gets the bus stop and this guy is right behind him and, and she loses it. Um, and the, the, the man is lucky to be alive, um, if he's a man. And she, she whips round and says, what the F are you following me for? And advances on this guy. And the guy turns heel and flees away, crying out, you crazy woman, you crazy woman. And was shouting into his phone at the same time and yeah so you know she was pretty pissed off with it all and we realized that you know we were living apart i'd been living a i hadn't seen her in a month um she was being followed by these crazy people we realized we'd have to find new accommodation um can i ask you if you ever if, if you or your wife ever called the police when these multiple people were times. following you multiple what times what did the police do? Yeah, the, the police came around two or three times and and spoke to the guys. Um, and when the police spoke to them, they would disappear for a day or two and then come back in a different vehicle. Um, in fact, it's very interesting because um, just jumping forward a few months, Brad, Brad Mitchell um, supplied David Wallace with my wife's phone log, like itemized phone log. Um, wow. which for, for the period of one month, and it was that one month in which, or one of those months in which Stuart Morse was uh, following my wife, and it contained in the phone log 10 phone calls to the Toronto police, and, and all of those related to my wife calling because she was actively being followed by uh, someone from Stuart Morse's detective agency um so yeah she was we were in contact with the police the police you know they were sympathetic but they didn't take it very seriously i suppose it's legitimate for private investigators to follow people um but but anyway um that was stuart morse and then there's the incident that was recounted on breaking brethren whereby 
this um, ex-brethren guy who I contacted, an uh, older guy called Dennis Rag, um, did had his James Bond moment, moment and smuggled Kanisha and all our possessions out of this basement in Scarborough to a, a new location. Um, he had a very fast vehicle and he got it all planned out and he managed to lose the tail, so to speak. And so at that point, we vanished off the Brethren's radar, vanished off Brad Mitchell's radar. Anyway, Stuart Morse then got desperate to try and find us, find us again. He contacted a, a very good friend of mine called Dr. Kirat Singh, who I'd known from uh, business connections from way back when I was in the Brethren. Wait a second. What was his name? Dr. Kirat Singh. You know he's what's a, funny? He's a Sikh. Yeah, he's are, yeah. Southern, are are yeah. you still are you still friends with him? Oh, very much so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he, he looked at my LinkedIn. Today. He looked at my LinkedIn profile today. I'm sure he did because I sent him a link okay, to your last okay. podcast. Just making, and, and just making sure back, you're friends with him. <laughs> he, yeah, he came back with a three word remark, which I won't repeat. Um, what? Yeah, well, he, was, he was very impressed. Oh, I think he said something about shit hitting the fan. Oh, um, okay. Good. Yeah, which summed it up. That's my job. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. The world so, is like my wife. I just need to start yelling at it, and things <laughs> will happen. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> so, uh, Stuart Moss. I mean, if you Google my name online, the only contact of mine you will find, um, or at least until recently, is Dr. Kirat Singh. Because I, after I left the bedroom, I had a small business. Uh, entrepreneur thing with him we were going to do some scientific instruments it never really worked out but of course all the websites and everything's up there so any private investigator trying to find me they go online and they find dr kirating and they call him up and try and find out from him where richard marsh is kirat is extremely extremely wise and extremely loyal and is a, is a great uh, poker face and he, um, he he knew instantly what it was all about, but he, in, rather than saying something rude and slamming the phone down, he leads Stuart Morse on. He pretends to be tempted. I mean, Stuart Morse sent him considerable sums of money, thousands of dollars, just to basically talk with him. Um, hmm. He tried to bribe Kirat into setting up a meeting with me in Edmonton so that, you know, they could wait at the meeting side and pounce on me. And Karen, of course, all the time was communicating with me and telling me what was happening. And well, I'm we, just curious. I'm just curious. You don't have to answer this if you don't want to. But was Kurt sending you the money that he was getting paid? Uh, we split it. OK, yeah, 50, fair 50. enough. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just curious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then we kind of thought well, that we can use this situation to our advantage. Uh, we I was quite keen to make the brethren think I was anywhere but where I was. I wanted them to think I was in the UK, which was a very plausible thing, you know, so they could waste their resources hiring private investigators in the wrong country. Um, so we, we came up with this plan. Um, Stuart Morse came over as not being the, the brightest bulb in the box. And um, Kirat and I came up with this plan. Well, let's see if we can feed this guy some some misinformation, send him up a rabbit hole. Um, so 
Kirat tells Stuart Morse, he says, look, I'm, I'm unhappy with this. I, I don't feel I can betray, you know, my friend. It, you know, it's not the kind of thing I do. Um, I mean, Kirat was pretty insulted, by the way, that Stuart Morse even thought he might sell me out. Yeah. Um, so, so Kirat says, you know, I, I don't want to be involved, but I have a friend, um, I have a friend from, from, from university who was extremely clever with electronics and he now works for British Telecom in Marlston Heath, which is their R&D headquarters. And he just might be able to get into Richard's phone and he might just be able to hack his computer. Do you want me to, you know, put you in contact? Of course, Stuart bites Kirat's hand off. And so we then concocted some fancy email address, xyzcipher at protonmail.com. We, we contact Stuart Morse in some kind of pigeon as if, you know, it was some... Um, someone where English wasn't the first language um, yeah. saying, you know, we can help with um, finding Marshall's phone. And of course, Stuart was, Stuart, Stuart being Stuart, thought he'd, he'd hit, struck the gold mine. And he was sending emails all from Stuart Morse's proper pro-West investigation email account. Smart. Yes, I want this. I want these emails. Can you hack his phone? Can you track his phone? And so, you know, after, you know, a, a due passage of time to make it seem realistic, um, Stuart Moore starts receiving packages of emails and screenshots of Richard Marsh's email account, which were genuine screenshots of my email account, but it was an email account I'd set up for the purpose of screenshots to Stuart Morse. Oh, is it so? W were you trying to like make it seem like you were overseas? Is that the oh, idea? Exactly, yeah. So I was. It was very evident from the emails that Stuart Morse received that I was actually in the UK, staying with my uncle, um, so on and so forth. And so this this went on and on, and 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 the mysterious hacker, Mister Cipher X or whatever. Um, succeeded in tracking Richard's, finding Richard's phone number, tracking his phone. Um, I got my, I really do have an uncle in, in the UK, in Scotland. Uh, was, I got he my uncle. You, was he paying you? Was he paying you? For all this stuff? Yes. Oh, that's yes, great. Sure, sure. Yes, love he, that. he, he, he paid about, I think, seven or 8,000, which we split between oh. us. It was very sweet, actually, because, and, and thoughtful of the Plymouth Brethren Church, because when I added it up, the amount I got from Stuart Morse almost exactly compensated us for uh, my wife's loss of employment and the cost of hiring the Airbnb for a month. So okay. you know, it, was, it was all fair in the end. We need to jump a couple of the stairs here for a little bit. Um, yeah. where, what, what is the... Um... When is the moment that you, you met Dave and what were those circumstances? Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, we, we're actually right there because... Okay. Uh, cut, a, cut out some of the detail. Stuart realized he was being scammed. The brethren realized that Stuart was being scammed. And, um, well, because Stuart did nicely out of it because the brethren actually paid for this. I'm sure Stuart put a fat mark up on all the, all the money. But uh, suddenly Stuart was out of the picture. Suddenly he wasn't interested. And that was the point when the brethren, in desperation, contacted Gerald Chipper and said, you know, what the hell do we do? We cannot find this guy. We think he's sent us up a rabbit hole. We've poured 
thousands and thousands of dollars into trying to find this guy. And Joel Chipper consulted with his good and um, morally impeccable friend, Alan Hallman, and they came up with the name David Wallace as being the ideal person to, to hunt me down. Okay. Um, <clears throat> we're a little pressed for time because I know mm. there's another show that's coming up. If um, kids on the escalator, people are listening, I'm going to, I'm sorry, but I'm going to at least, I'm going to try to get off at uh, by 830. I'll get off by 830. But um, I, I'm, I'm going to just say right now to you, uh, Richard, and to my audience, if we are still sort of like on the way in this story, um, I would like to invite you back for a part two tomorrow if you're available. Okay. Um, just in case we run out of time. Is that going to work for you? Yeah, with me, fine. Yeah, thank and, you. and then we'll bring David and and maybe Nathan in as well, and maybe Alex McIntosh, who's the director of Breaking Brethren. So we'll 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 try to arrange all that um, sometime over the weekend or Monday. We'll figure it out. <clears throat> so we have about twenty minutes left. So you don't have to yeah. fast forward at all. But we can get yeah. now that we're at the David Wallace part. My audience is familiar with David. David is a crazy character. He is. Yeah. Um, I'm not used to the haircut yet. I've never seen that before. I'm used to seeing him with like it's short hair, so it's really it's not cut. It's, it's, no, it's it's very it's, it's like gorgeous uncut. but weird at the same time. I don't know how to think about it. And plus, I have no hair, so it's like I, I, I do want to know what shampoo he uses. I mean, we could both do with some help in that department. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. Um, but you, so you met him. So, so what he relayed to me is that he was hired to find you. Yes. He found you. What was the mm. first meeting like with him? Oh, well, I mean, I, I was not aware that he found me. Um, okay. He, uh, the first thing I knew about David Wallace was that Kirat Singh phones me, Dr. Dr. Singh, and says, I've just had this phone call from a guy called David Wallace, who is very worried about you. Um, he says that the brethren are hunting you down and he is he thinks they want to kidnap you and that you should get out of Ontario as fast as you can. Um, so I I said to Kirat, well, you know, big surprise, they've got the next PI. Um, but this is interesting and it's it's possible that the that this Wallace guy is sincere. It, it's possible that Wallace is, this is a kind of a trap to get me to engage with Wallace. But my gut feeling was, and Kirat's gut feeling was, that this was genuine, um, you know, just based on Wallace's tone of voice, you know, genuine concern. So I said to Kirat, look, get a call recorder on your phone, phone him back and ask him some more details. Kirat, Kirat, loyal and, and faithful friend of mine, uh, did exactly that and recorded that fantastic 20-minute phone call, which is available on YouTube and other places, in which David Wallace goes over the whole story and says, get out of Dodge, get the F out of Dodge. Um, these people are hunting you down. They're fanning out. Um, and, uh, just, to, just to interject, yeah. Nathan Jacobson, the billionaire businessman, uh, and David yeah. Wallace that were on the show last night, their version of the story, which is the same, um, but <clears throat> just to sort of uh, uh, put a bow on it a little bit, uh, they were basically uh, told, they were lied to by Shapur and by Brad Mitchell, who said that you had outstanding criminal warrants in Canada. 
Yes. And yes. that they wanted David to find you because you had those warrants. And because Nathan Jacobson is so connected, um, he was able to to contact law enforcement friends who told him that there were no existing criminal warrants for you. Mm. And that is when David was told by, I believe it was Mitchell uh, or I always say Dipshot. What's that fucking guy's name again? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, Dipshot. Yeah, is his, yeah that's his yeah. real name, but they call him Diplop just because that, the other's not th polite. Yeah. It's an awful name. It's just an ugly name. Um. Anyways, oh. they, they, that he was basically saying, um, if you find him, hold him there, take his lap, seize his last laptop, and keep him there until our team arrives. Yeah, yeah. Well, all that's like on the, the phone call. Yeah, that's on my yeah. YouTube channel. You can hear it. And you can get the transcript. Yeah. So this is really the part where um, it is it, it's kind of subjective by the way they if I was in yeah. your position, I would be thinking that it would be smart of me to think the worst just because. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Why else would they want to take your computer and hold you there? What were they going to do with you? You know, like well, well exactly. Uh, I mean, this is the great big. This is the biggest question in the whole thing, and this is the question everyone asked me: Were they really wanting to kill you? Were they really wanting to do you physical harm? And my answer is: Well, what else were they going to do? They certainly didn't have an arrest warrant. Um, <laughs> go ask them. Ask ask Dipshot. Ask Brad Mitchell, what, what were you actually going to do to Mr. Marsh when your team turned up and you'd got his computer and you were holding him? Um, you know, go, yeah, go but... ask them. I, I don't have any... I, it's perfectly rational to think that they might want to rough me up or, or even to finish me off. But I can't imagine anything else useful they could do in those circumstances. So, it is, it, as it Sherlock is... Holmes said, if you've eliminated... Um, <laughs> You know, if you've eliminated all the impossible things, then what remains must be the truth. But you have like every right to fear for your safety as the person being hunted by this cult who are lying about arrest warrants so they can steal your laptop and send it seal brethren team six or whatever the fuck they're gonna yeah, do, yeah. you know, to come and get you. Yeah. Like I would be first of all, I would probably find a way to become armed. Like I'm not. I I don't like guns. I've never owned one. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm married. Right, right. Like, <laughs> just, just well, you know what? I would. I would. So, yeah. I, I know you probably wouldn't do it. I would just send my wife to the location just to see what would happen. No, I'm just kidding. Well, well, um, we're not. We're not. We're not far out because they, when I actually did meet up with with um with um with um. Nathan Jacobson and David, I, I very specifically took my took my wife along with me. Yeah. So when I talked to you on the phone the other day, so I'm just going to uh, pause that part of the story for a second. Yeah. Didn't you tell me that you're, and maybe I got this wrong, I don't know, um, but didn't you tell me that your wife went back to the church? My wife? No. My first wife, my, yeah, my, my ex-wife never left the church, oh. of course. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, okay, yeah, so the, yeah. so so this individual is your current wife. Are you guys together right now? Oh, very much so. Yeah. Oh. I'm so happy. That makes me so happy. I didn't know that you. Yeah. I didn't know you were previously married. So I'm looking at this beautiful woman, and I'm just like, damn. 
She can cook Jamaican food. She's beautiful. Like, Jesus, fuck, these guys are assholes. <laughs> like, but now you guys are together. <laughs> oh, no, 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 so that no, makes me no, so I mean, happy. You, you need to watch Breaking Brethren. On there, there's there's pictures of my, my former family in my former life with my five children and my ex-wife, who, you know, who was a, a lovely woman. Um, and I just feel terribly, terribly sorry for her because she just did what she had been raised and brainwashed into doing. I don't know. You know, she's suffered horribly as a result of all this. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, that, that came to an end and there was nothing I could do about it. Um, so, yes, yeah, I mean, I married Kanisha in Jamaica and she's a fantastic woman and she's far more than I deserve or could ever have dreamed of, as oh, well as being so my bodyguard, for... yes. Yeah, I'm yeah. So, like, I, I, you can't... This is great. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't mean to, like, derail this, but, <laughs> but I, I thought you were, like living alone mm. on the run your wife's in the cult you know and and, and i was and, and i know that that happened to your first wife and i'm sorry that that happened to her i believe yeah. you when you say that she's lovely and i really feel like she's a victim um yeah, yeah, you know of much. the church yeah. um but i i i there's a to me i just i just i was trying to find something over the last few days to like to hold on to to your story that would like make me feel not like completely sorry for you and and the fact that you have that woman in your life, I think that you're right. I think, I think you're a lucky man in that regard. And just focusing on her would be the greatest thing that you could do for yourself. And, yeah, for her, and, right? and, and what's more, just to kind of make a very public, uh, public announcement: um, my, my wife and I are expecting a, a baby uh, sometime around Christmas time. So, congratulations! That's Thank awesome. You. you know what? I'm going to stop there. And, and, yeah. and the reason why I'm stopping there is, is, first of all, we have a podcast that was probably going to start, was probably supposed to start at around eight. Mm. But um, I like to end things on a positive note. And yeah. we are literally maybe halfway through the story. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because yeah. there's so yeah. much more to come. <laughs> I, I want um, I want people to those clips that you sent me, are they from Breaking Brethren? Um, or they no, no they're off my YouTube channel. They're just bits and pieces I acquired over over time from various sources. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm gonna play one of I'm gonna play one of them, and then I'm going to um, come back and we'll and we'll we'll end the show. Um, actually, you know what? No, I'm not gonna play because it, it will it, it will spoil the 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 positive ending of yeah. this show. But this is a part one, and we're gonna do part two. We're gonna figure it out. If you want to do it Saturday, Sunday, Monday, it's completely up to you. I will make myself available. And um, yeah. and we'll continue the story. I, I want the audience to understand that um, it is a difficult story to follow if you don't give yourself to the idea that cults operate like this. This is how they operate. You, you know, uh, you should watch Breaking Brethren. It's a city TV documentary by Alex McIntosh. It is. Uh, I have not seen it yet. I haven't had time to watch it. I will watch it tonight. Um, I'll probably watch it as soon as this ends so that I can familiarize myself better. You're in it, correct? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and, and my wife, yeah. Yeah. And is, uh, tell her I say what's up and congratulations, please. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no problem. <laughs> um, so, listen, uh, we'll have you back. We'll, figure, we'll coordinate yeah. uh, tonight or tomorrow, and, and we'll have you back, um, and we'll talk more about this uh, Plymouth Brethren Church that um, just seems to be um, a nightmare force of darkness uh, and uh and i'm i'm happy that you're you're in a dude i was like i can't tell you how, how happy i am i literally thought you were like the, the like man this guy's living this is the darkest most awful life ever he's all alone 
Oh. Well, I mean, for three years I was. Um, yeah, I spent three years in hell. That was quite enough, thanks. Don't look to the past, man. Except for uh, the stories that you tell us in the next episode. Yeah, yeah. Of Black Belt, yeah. Um, yeah. Richard Marsh, thank you. Uh, I'll give you a call uh, in about yeah. a half an hour or so. I appreciate yeah. that. That's Richard Marsh, everybody. Um, yeah, the uh, I like shows that I, I like. You know, I want to be organized for you guys. I really do. But I really enjoy the idea of like, m- you know, me being surprised by a story that I thought I knew all the ins and outs of. Um, and and this is great. The, but I can't emphasize enough um, the cult that he had to escape from and the, the lengths that they go through uh, in order to uh, cause punitive harm to a person that they think had betrayed them. It is, uh, it is parental. It is uh, abusive. It is, it is a ridiculous kind of nightmare that no one should have to live. Um, so yeah, so I hope you enjoyed part one um, and part two uh, I will announce sometime this weekend and we'll be back with Richard Marsh sometime soon. On Monday, I should mention actually that we have Michael Geist uh, to talk about Bill C-11 and Bill C-18 and why the Trudeau government is uh, doing their best Orwell impersonation. So we will see you then and thank you for joining me on Black Ball. Black Ball. It is your favorite girl. That's right, it's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.